All right, welcome to the first episode of the Gila Monsters podcast. We have no idea what we're doing, but this is the ghost of Deuce Bigelow, or otherwise known as Deuce, and we also have... Anarcho Bacon, haven't created a page yet. Mongo, you can find me at just Mongo. Hi, I'm Grendel. I was wondering what we were going to call you, because you've also got Gizmo, the half-baked tater. <laughs> <laughs> Cheesy potatoes, too. Okay. Yeah, so cheesy potatoes. Now, we're not cutting anything. This is going to be one of those shows where, oh, yeah, we'll cut that in post. And it never gets cut in post. <laughs> well, fuck. <laughs> that might have to get beeped if we share this with the Baptists. <laughs> Wait, we're doing what now? Wait, who? What? Huh? <laughs> Moving up. Okay, so the reason we started recording this is that we were going to make some infographics to kind of help out the community because... We're spending a lot of money on rifles and other and ceramic plates and other toys, and we're spending $20 on Chinesium shit for your radios. I should probably beat that later. Again, no, that, 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 was, that was appropriate. That <laughs> yeah. was uh, let's decision. just not beat anything. Yeah, yeah, we'll edit and cut. Don't worry. We'll edit that oh. post. <laughs> <laughs> so in the process of uh, you know, putting together information on that, I figured we'd sit down and record this and actually get a show going. It is going to be an absolute disaster. Strap in. Yeehaw. But before we uh, get too far into that, this last week was the Arizona Second Amendment rally. I'm not sure how many years I've been doing that, but it was the second year that I've heard of it because last year was kind of on the tails of the big Virginia rally, and this year was kind of on the tail of the big capital of Putsch rally, Burning Man for conservatives. I'm not sure what to call it. <laughs> Just call it a flaming protest. Yeah, flaming protest. I call it good entertainment. <laughs> so, what'd you uh, what'd you think of the uh, rally there, Bacon? Uh, so, the Arizona Second Amendment rally. You know, I was the turnout could have been better. I'd say there was about a thousand people. Uh, there were a handful of squad-sized elements, and one thing that I did not see was a whole lot in the way of high-quality communications equipment. Uh, it was predominantly Baofangs, Redovis, Pofung. Uh, I don't know if I'd throw any tone in there because they have some stuff that's, you know, passable. But cheap Chineseium radios on a chip. They sound bad. They perform worse. They have legal issues if that's something that you are concerned about. Uh, they do not have any provision for ComSec whatsoever. Their user interface is absolutely awful. Their spectral purity is laughable. Uh, they have horrible receivers that are prone to descents and overload. Uh, long story short, they suck. Okay, so I got the comm side of that covered. And it was majority boomer conservatives there. We saw, hey, first off, meet your internet friends. Uh, we met up with some good guys and got to talk to them. And also met up with a couple of the, uh, you know, more famous podcasters in AZ that, uh, We've met, you missed out, Mongo. You should have come. Like I told you so. You could have met Luke from Buddy the Bullet. You could have met uh, uh, Bloody Revolutions. Miss Buckles were there. Just rubbing in. You missed out, bro. I know. But the reason that the reason that the libertarians, the anarchists, the weirdos in our little category should go to these kind of things is that eventually all the boomer conservatives are going to die. Of the Rona. The boomer doomer is not doing its job. Yeah, I was supposed to be able to buy a ranch house for 37 cents by now. 
but yeah, so we've got to we've got to make a little bit of a show for that, and you can have good conversations. We we met or this one lady comes up to me and goes, "Would you like to take a card for the Constitutional Party, ma'am? I'm an anarchist." And I was thinking that was going to scare her off or get her chewing me out or go full Karen. And no, she goes, well, what does that mean? I told her all human interaction should be voluntary. Surprise. She goes, well, I actually agree with that. And then she tried comparing that to Thomas Jefferson. And of course, I'm like, no, like you're going kind of there. But no, no, no. But you can have a good conversation. Just because somebody's a boomer doesn't mean that they're not worth engaging. Yeah. So engage, engage your friendly boomer cons. Let them give them an option besides just red versus blue versus trash. I mean, I know, I know a few boomers who were about a half a step away from being raging and caps, mostly thanks to the, the BLM. And I do mean the Bureau of Land Management, which is in fact a terrorist organization. <laughs> so Bacon, just give us a real quick overview of, you know, we, you hear a lot of terms thrown, thrown around VHF, UHF, HF, HAM. Uh, okay, so there, you're, what you're talking about there is frequency ranges and also radio services. So uh, just working from the bottom up, HF is high frequency. And, you know, there are medium frequency, low frequency, very low frequency. But that's, you know, the things that you'll use to go through a thousand miles of bedrock or a mile of bedrock or a thousand miles of ocean and communicate with submarines. So for all intents and purposes, the RF spectrum as we will use it begins at high frequency, which is, uh, I'll call it 7 to, to about 30 megahertz. Now, megahertz is a unit of frequency, hertz being that base unit of frequency. Uh, then it goes up to very high frequency, which is, call it, 30 to, oh, maybe 300. I've seen that definition batted around. Then... UHF or ultra high frequency, which is called 300 plus. Now, the reason that all of these frequencies are in use is not only there is a demand for spectrum, but they also have very different propagation characteristics. So, in general, the higher the frequency that you're operating on, the more like light that it will behave. You know, it will predominantly be propagated through line of sight. It may it may bend or make bounce, it may long path, and the lower in frequency you get, the more likely to get other means of, pro of propagation, uh, like say skywave propagation, uh, various forms of, of skip, sporadic E. That's a little bit above, uh, above my yeah, pay grade. Yeah, that's above our pay grade. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the really cool ham stuff, and that's, like, that's sort of out of my range of expertise. But And if you want to learn more about that, do get your ham license, like it will walk you through that as much as we like to crap on uh, government licenses. The learning process will kind of help educate you. But we're we're dialing in on how to build a poor boy's UHF comm system that doesn't suck or isn't balfang. So building on that, high frequency, it, it tends to be, uh, shall we say, not really practically man portable or uh, man-packable. Now, you will have exceptions to that, like QRP rigs. Uh, I've seen guys dragging counterpoises with uh, talking on 40 meter on like a, a Yaesu FT-817. I've seen some cool stuff like that, but by and large, your, your portable radios, your walkie-talkie, as you put it, 
is going to start in VHF low band of, you know, about 35 megahertz and then range all the way up to 900 megahertz or what's called the 33 centimeter band in Hamspeak. Okay, so if everybody's, um, you know, a lot of people get told by the Baofeng uh, UV5R, or what, what's that model number? Yeah, the UV5R is the most popular of those turds. You know, you have like the BFFAHP. It's the one that's supposed to put out 8 watts. I don't think it does, but I so have polished to, turd. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a polished turd. I haven't hooked one up to, uh, to a watt meter or a service monitor to say. Uh, but I have I have my doubts about those uh, those numbers, and you've got like the UV eighty two HP, uh, various other ones, and there's the knockoff Baofengs. Yes, there are knockoffs of cheap Chinese radios out there. The knockoff of the knockoff joy. So if I don't want the garbage, then I we've talked about getting surplus Kenwood, right? Is... Yes. Uh, so. Uh, when we're referring to surplus, we're talking about old Part 90 radios. So uh, Part 90 is a portion of the Code of Federal Regulations authored by the FCC or the Federal Communications Commission. Now you can sub in uh, feral for federal. I think it's about as accurate. Uh, it governs what is called land mobile radio or LMR. That's commercial public safety uh, philanthropic, educational, etc. So using radio as more than just a hobby, using it to actually accomplish a goal. Now, radios are generally type cert or type accepted for a given part of the Code of Federal Regulations and uh, say a Part 90 radio, a commercial radio, is going to be Part 90 type accepted. Now that, that means that that radio, the manufacturer has to submit samples of that radio to a third-party lab for testing in order to ensure that that radio meets spe what's called spectral purity standards, among other things. So when a radio is transmitting on a given frequency, it's going to be putting, the intent of the radio is to put as much of its PEP, or uh, effective power, into or onto that frequency. Now, Obviously, being a technological device, radios are not going to be perfect, and there will be energy radiated across other parts of the spectrum. So spectral purity uh, nails down how much energy is permitted to be radiated on frequencies other than the one that the radio is currently tuned to. If you have, if you have too much energy going on to, uh, onto other frequencies, it can cause serious interference with systems, often at a, at a harmonic or a a multiple of the frequency. Like I've heard of some instances of Baofeng radios operating in the 70 centimeter ham band, which, which is going uh, in the you know 420 to 450 megahertz range, operating on a, on a second harmonic of the frequency it's operating on, which is going to be in the 800 megahertz range. Coincidentally, that is part of the public safety bands, and it managed to have a spl uh, harmonic splatter all over an 800 megahertz control channel and partially knock out a trunking site. So that's bad. So your cheap radios are sloppy at best and dangerous at worst. We tend to call them dirty. Uh, and yes, now the like a, a type accepted part 90 
or part 95, which is like the personal radio services, but that's not something we'll get to do later. Uh, a high quality type accepted radio is going to be the best option. Now. So the analogy that we've used is that, you know, your Baofengs aren't, you're just as good, your PSAs, your um, Andersons, if you're going to compare them to ARs or guns, they're your high points and your absolute, you're, you're lucky if this thing goes bang. Now, if you have nothing else, then like if you're just fighting somebody with sticks and stones, you're a god among men. But what we're trying to do is point out there's a pretty good world out there where you can start getting the Smith & Wesson M&Ps or you, if you really want to get yourself a BCM version of a radio, they're out there. Motorola will will take your money. As we're comparing them to guns, I want an 80% radio. <laughs> All those exist. So let's say I've, you know, I'm going to toss my bow thing in the trash. What's the first thing I do when I go online? I'm looking to upgrade. Well, the first thing you got to figure out is what radio service you want to operate on. Uh, there's multiple options out there for the purposes of this podcast. Uh, we're going to look at about four of them. We're going to discount CB and family radio service. So we're going to look at MERS, which is the multi-use radio service. That's a, a low-power, license-free or license-by-rule VHF radio service. There is GMRS, or the General Mobile Radio Service, which is uh, sort of like ham light. Uh, the license covers all you and your, in, your immediate family, and there are repeaters available on that, which we'll get into later. Then there's commercial radio, which we talked a bit about that earlier, and that's uh, really the sort of the king of this. And then there's ham radio, which uh, ham is intended for to, intended to be a radio hobby, uh, something for experimentation, technical innovation, but it does also have practical uses. So ham requires a uh, about for the technician test, which is the first level of the ham license. It's a 35 question multiple choice test, and if you have the slightest knowledge of electronics, you can probably spend a day or two reviewing the question pool and source material and you'll be good to go. Now, once you've figured out uh, what service you'd like to operate on, you'll be looking for radios that will be compatible with that service. So getting into uh, Part 90 equipment, Part 95 equipment, you might be thinking, well, it's a commercial radio that's going to be extremely expensive. You know, you've, you might have heard uh, your sheriff's department spending $37,000 amortized across all their subscriber units. That was a Pinal County, Arizona, by the way, and that was a Motorola P25 system that they paid through the nose for. Yeah, government waste in action. We got one for the books. Yeah. But here's the thing. Those radios, once, they, once they're replaced, they don't hold their value they become extremely affordable on the secondary market, whether that's at a ham fest on eBay via, an, uh, say, an e-waste recycler, uh, any number of outlets out there. You can buy these used radios for very reasonable prices. And by very reasonable, I mean usually 50 to $300 for an extremely high-quality unit. Now, if you've spent... $500 on a middling optic for your rifle, you can afford to drop 
$200 on a quality radio. There's, there's three tasks given to the infantry, and that is move, shoot, and communicate. If you can't effectively communicate, you're not any good. You're not any use. So let's say I'm a rancher, a prepper, or getting ready for the ice cream social, and you know I've decided we'll look at two options going into GMRS and commercial with you know crypto, of course. But of course. let's say I'm a rancher. I've decided I'm going to set up a GMRS system, a GHF. Uh, I've picked out uh, Kenwoods on eBay. I like them. Maybe start at the cheap end with the TK series and uh, bottom end of the TK series and work our way up. What would you get? Well, in that context, I would pick up TK390 portables uh, in the, the UHF band split. And that, not getting into Kenwood model designators here, I would pick up Kenwood TK390 portables. They're a, a very high quality, older UHF portable. Uh, they do not support crypto unless you have a, a scrambler board in them. So we'll neglect that. However, they have a very good receiver in them. They have excellent ergonomics. They have a display mounted on the top. So say you want to keep it on your belt or uh, in, a, in a pouch or something like that, you don't have to pull the radio out to change a setting or to change a frequency. And for your mobile units, I'd probably buy uh, TK880s, which are a 25 watt higher powered mobile radio and that that mobile radio is going to have a lot more reach than uh, a portable or uh, HP or walkie-talkie all, all none of those are really wrong or incorrect terms mainly because of the antenna now the the additional power does help additional PEP and you're going to get a much longer effective communications range mostly because of that antenna. Because the GMRS is UHF, height is might, line of sight is life. The higher up you go, the more line of sight you have, the better. And putting a, a radio on an, you know, on an elevated vehicle will help a bit. That extra couple feet will make a difference. So you had a TK390 and then what was that other model? A uh, TK880. And no, uh, TK360Gs, 370Gs, TK380s, those are all uh, other UHF portables. Those will, those will all work as well. Um, I'm a fan of what's called the Kenwood multi-pin or 14-pin connector. Uh, rather than the two-pin Kenwood, it's also used on most of the cheap Chinese radios. It has a, a screw. So the say your speaker mic, uh, your throat mic, whatever kind of accessories you want to use will hard mount to the radio, so it's going to be a better seal and it's going to be a much more durable connector. I don't know if it's trademarked to say pull this up, Jamie. Pull this up, Jamie. Oh, yeah. So, you know, looking, these are any, the 390s are anywhere from 10 to $25 on eBay and then the base station or the uh, 880s are, those are not base station, they're mobile, 60 70 $75. And would you get a new battery for the 390s? I absolutely would. Uh, there really aren't lithium-ion batteries available for those, but there are uh, quite a few uh, serviceable aftermarket nickel metal hydride batteries. And those will, those will work well, and there are the batteries are usually less than $20. And uh, the charger, actually across all of those models that I was uh, name dropping a couple minutes ago, those use the same charger. I believe it's a KSC24 charger base. So the 390, that's right there in line with the Baofeng. You know, you can get the uh, the little UHF Baofeng radios for, what, 10 to $25, same price range? Yeah, 
Yeah, and figure once you account for a battery, uh, make sure you have a charger. Maybe if you want to replace the antenna, if if the, the radio you bought or didn't come with one or, or it's the antenna was damaged, you're probably looking at no more than about $75 for a high-quality little UHF portable. And those things, I've, I have used them as hammers. I know it gets used as a joke, but I've had to do stuff like that working in mines. Now, my experience with Baofeng is if you look at them funny, they will break. Now, uh, Yesu's also been pushed in the community, and I, you don't really have a problem with those radios. I mean, they're a little bit more expensive, and they're newer, of course. How do you feel about Yesu? Uh, so Yesu is predominantly uh, a ham brand, if you will. If I remember correctly, they are owned by Motorola, of all companies. And for a ham radio, if you're if you're choosing to operate on on amateur, they will work. They're not type accepted for GMRS or Part 90. So, so they won't do Part 90 radios. No. Okay, that's important. You can, I mean, you can do the the Mars Cap mod in them, clipping a diode and opening them up, but you're not supposed to. Well, whether or not you choose to, that's yeah. Whether that's or your not call. you're on pirate in this business, we ask no questions. Okay, so that, that was a big because wondering why uh, you weren't too big on that, but I I didn't realize they weren't part ninety radios. That makes sense. Actually, Vertex Standard is also owned by Motorola now, and they they're sort of uh, Motorola's lower end commercial radio line. Uh, I've used Vertex VX two sixty ones industrially quite a bit. Uh, they're very basic radios, and they use different connectors and different software and whatnot from uh, from those Kenwoods I was referring to, but they're they're very high quality radios, and I I put one through hell at a, at a limestone mine I worked at. Actually, that thing fell fifty feet off a conveyor trussle I was working on in the middle of winter in Kentucky, and it's just fine. I think they still have that radio. So Mongo just bought his. Uh... His new TK390, well, new to him anyways, how does he program it? What does he need to get set up? Okay, so that's a that's a really good question. Your These radios usually use uh, use like an RS-232 serial, or that's the, that's the language that the radio uses to connect to it, to talk to a computer or the programming interface. So most modern computers do not have a true serial port. They have USB ports. So typically the programming cables will have uh, what's called a USB to serial connector. So I'm, uh, disclaimer here, I do not re receive sponsorship or any money from this guy. I strongly recommend uh, a guy named Blue Max 49ers. He's, uh, he's got an eBay store where he sells USB to serial converter cables. Uh, and that, that converter is part of the, of the programming cable itself. And that plugs into usually the microphone jack on the side of the radio. Then that connects to a personal computer and you can program it. But there's another piece of the puzzle there. There's software. So the software for most of these older radios, you know, if you do a quick Google search, it's pretty easy to find, uh, shall we say, gray market downloads since uh, the manufacturers usually don't support these radios anymore. I don't really mind the, the software getting out there, but if you choose to, to do so, you can call up a radio shop 
in your area or, or elsewhere, and you can purchase a copy of the software. Usually that's not going to be more than maybe $50 for these old radios, but usually you can find it for free. Then that programming software, the interface for Kenwood is a lot like a spreadsheet. You know, you type in uh, your frequencies, your, your bandwidth, your channel alias, uh, your CTCSS tones, maybe set all of your key functions, and you upload that into the radio, and Bob's your uncle and you're ready to talk. So if you can set up and run a 3D printer like what's being talked about a lot in the Liberty community, there is no reason you shouldn't be able to program your own radios. Absolutely. If, if you do a little bit of research to get an understanding of how the RF spectrum works, it's very straightforward. Uh, beyond that, you just got to get, uh, get your programming cable working, get that software, get everything plugged in and working and talking to, to each other and you're good to go. There's and not a whole lot to it with these older analog radios. What did you say that the programming cable cost? Uh, programming cable is going to be anywhere from about 20 to $50, usually edging closer to about 30 hmm. $50, no, it's, it's not really not. A $50 programming cable is going to be for something weird uh, or out of the ordinary, like, a, I don't know, an APX Motorola or like... EF Johnson P25 radios, those can, uh, peripherals for those can get a little bit expensive. So I've got my radios, I'm set up to program them. Now maybe split the difference, like go either GMRS or commercial if you, you know, you can't do crypto on that, or you can't do crypto with the radios we talked about. But why would I want to go GMRS or get a commercial license? Or you could run Pirate. That's none of our business. But the FCC is complaint-based violations. So. so don't step on anyone's toes if you choose to do that. Not that we're condoning that. No, we would never condone. This is strictly for entertainment purposes. But nobody's going to care as long as you're not a jerk. Should you choose to operate Pirate, for the love of God, check in the FCC's, it's called their ULS, uh, Universal License System Database, check to make sure that frequency is not in use in your area so that you don't knock out an ambulance's communications or something like that. Please do not be stupid and do your homework if you're going to, if you're going to do something, uh, shall we say, less than legal. Which, you know, as federal agencies go, the FCC is probably my least hated one because they're complaint-based and they're basically federal traffic directors or yeah, they don't, traffic cops. I deal with them and they don't they don't tick me off that bad. But we still don't like them, so don't like them. <laughs> all, all federal agencies are unconstitutional. But. A bold of you to believe in the Constitution, but we won't get into that. We will get into the weeds in five seconds. We <laughs> okay, so you were asking about uh, GMRS? Yeah, would I go GMRS? Would I go commercial? Which, which one would? Which one and why? Well, it entirely depends on what you want to do. So GMRS is primarily for family communication. So that license is it's now being reduced to thirty five dollars. I'm not sure if that's going to have gone into effect at the time that we're uh, that this podcast is going live, but it's reduced to thirty five dollars, and that license is good for ten years. So when I say family, you know. Parents, siblings, children, spouses, uh, spouses, cousin, cousin, uh, aunts, uncles, grandparents, etc. Everybody's covered by that. 
And Just don't be an idiot and invite your uh, third cousin from Belgium to use it, too. Bold of you to assume that I have third cousins. <laughs> or know them. Yeah. Uh, and there are GMRS repeaters all over the country. Now, those are private repeaters, and you should go, you should ask, ask permission to use that repeater. What that repeater does is it will receive your portable or your mobile's transmission and simultaneously repeat it at significantly higher power with usually with a, a much higher and better antenna. Remember, height is might, line of sight is life. It, and by that, it'll give you much more effective range. So just for, just a little bit of anecdotal evidence. You know, usually out in the desert out here, you can get a few miles between portables if you don't have a, a mountain in the way between them. But once you get, say, a mountaintop repeater, there's a, a machine on top of Sandia Crest in New Mexico. I've talked into that repeater from, I believe, about 89 miles using my TK390 and uh, a little stubby helical antenna just standing out by my truck out, by the, out in the desert. I had very good signal reports and there is no license, there is no testing requirement for a GMRS license. You create an FRN, or like an FCC registration number, you create your FRN, you pay your $35, and you are good to go. You can use that for, for ranching, for farming, etc. Now the downsides, and this is getting, uh, getting into what he was asking about with commercial, the downsides of GMRS is that uh, at this point in time, the Part 95E, I believe, does not permit encryption, digital modes, etc., on GMRS. And that's the, the main reason that you might want to go for the commercial. And the other thing is that GMRS is only UHF. So remember what I was saying, the lower your frequency gets, uh, you're going to have more forgiving propagation, while you're also going to have better foliage penetration. So in certain areas, UHF may not be the ideal band to use. You may be better served by VHF. You may even be better served by low band. Now, if any of those things describe you, or you want to have you want to have encryption, uh, say you want to you you want to be able to have a large number of disparate people who are not related to you operating under your license legally and not having to all obtain their own licenses, whether that's GMRS, HAM, etc., then commercial is the way you want to go. It's going to cost you quite a bit more money, but at that point you're, you're playing by big boy rules and you get into real serious capability. So how much did, I think the commercial license when we set up ours was like, what, a couple hundred bucks? Uh, it was $170 for an itinerant license. So Itinerant is a term that the FCC uses to describe uh, basically operations over occurring over a, a wide area, not really in any one spot more than others. Uh, say uh, a contractor working at different sites, like a, a traveling carnival, um, say mineral exploration, working in, in various locations, consulting, you know, anything like that where you're not tied to a single location, it's going to be about, about $170. And again, that license is good for, for 10 years. 
you know, you, you include in the license the frequencies you want to use, the types of, uh, or say, if you want to have mobile or portable radios, if you want to have any repeaters, uh, what emissions designators, which is going to be you know, analog, different types of digital radio, that's all going to go on your license application, uh, as well as your reason for wanting it. Basically, the FCC just wants to know that you're, you know, a, a legitimate business, something like that. You know, that could be uh, if you're providing radio consulting services. I've, I've seen that one used. They're pretty shallow issue with the license. Like, they want to take your money, right? Yeah, yeah, just so, so long as... Um, you know, and don't don't lie on your paperwork. Uh, just so long as you provide a, a reasonable justification under, I believe, Part ninety point three five. Uh, you know, you'll you'll pay your hundred seventy dollars. Wait maybe a month or so for them to get that application processed, and that's the most annoying part. Uh, and then you'll have your license grant issued. Now, say you want to get uh, like a fixed repeater, and you want to have your own frequency. Well, you're going to have to go through what's called frequency coordination. Uh, there are a variety of frequency coordinators out there. I believe WIA is one of them. Uh, APCO is another one. They specialize in public safety frequency coordination. And you're looking at, you know, two to $300 per frequency pair. Uh, essentially, they'll conduct an engineering study and ensure that there are no uh, co-channel users within the service area that you would like to have. Make sure that you're not going to have anybody interfering on your frequency. Make sure that you won't interfere with anybody else. And at that point, you then own that frequency. So it's like a title search for a frequency. You know, I hadn't thought about it like that, but that's a very good explanation. Okay. Sweet. And then you, you will own that frequency for as long as you maintain that license in that area. And remember, those are tied to a specific geographic area. You know, that might be like a uh, maybe a 50-mile radius, thereabouts. Uh, and then that is yours. You can put up your... Uh, put up your repeater, say you want to rent space on a tower. I mean, if you're, if you're doing that, you're really playing by big boy rules and you're going to have a, a very capable system. And of course, the, uh, the one thing that will get everybody's attention, let's say you want to run crypto and who can hear you and who can't hear you? Well, depends on the algorithm you're using. If you're using voice inversion scrambling, and I might uh, might do a demonstration of that. If you're using voice inversion scrambling, then anybody with the capability to de-invert your audio can hear you. If you're using, uh, say, like a, a rolling code scrambler, this is all analog encryption, then it's I've been told it's not that hard to produce recoverable audio from uh, a scrambled sample. And the voice inversions just to keep away the fuds and your average it, listener. It keep yeah, it keeps away scanners and your 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 average listener exactly. Uh, then the next step up is ADP, which is a, a proprietary Motorola algorithm for uh, or RC four encryption, which is I'm told kind of like WEP. That stands for uh, like Advanced Digital Privacy. It's not very advanced. It's a uh, honestly, it's kind of a crappy algorithm, but it's also a scanner buster. Then there's DES, which is the data encryption standard, which is from, uh, it's a federal standard from the 1970s, as you'd expect, being over 40 years old, it's uh, it's been superseded. It can be cracked via commercial off-the-shelf hardware, uh, usually in a few days, it just depends on how determined the person trying to crack it is, and, well, 
how much hardware they have, what their resources are, that sort of thing. Then uh, as far as what you and I can get our hands on without getting into stuff like like Fascinator and Mayfly, which are uh, DOD or NSA. And that's the frequent opposite. Oh, that's black magic, right? yeah. That that's that stuff is black magic. We're not really gonna gonna talk about that today. Uh, the next step up and the top is AES or Advanced Encryption Standard, which was developed in the early two thousands as a replacement for DES. Uh, it's for all intents and purposes, it's unbreakable. The NSA considers it acceptable to transmit uh, top secret information, and just to give you a quick sample of what AES sounds like over P20, in this case, P25, which is a, a digital waveform that I'm a little bit partial to. Let's uh, let you hear it. about you but I don't speak Decepticon and I'm also not a supercomputer. I thought that was Autobot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you might be right. Yeah. And that's when it just sounds like it's digital garbage. Yeah it's just digital garbage. Uh, then that that encryption is powered by what's called a, a key or a traffic encryption key or a cryptologic variable. Uh, long story short it's a uh, say, a 256-bit key that serves to uh, encrypt and decrypt, and it's, it's symmetric, so it does use the same for both ends uh, to encrypt and decrypt that transmission. So you see end-to-end -end encryption thrown around a lot, like for the chats, like Signal or Telegram, is that any way similar, like it'll show the 64-bit key or... Uh, so there's, I don't know of any ways to actually show the key on the subscriber unit, which is what we call a P25 radio. But what the subscriber is sending along with all of that garbled digital crap that in that case was actually silence is uh, a key ID. So it does not send the key itself. It just specifies the ID under which the key is programmed or loaded into the radio's memory. So that is, in fact, end-to-end -end encrypted. At no point does the key go over the air. Okay. And what's it? what would it cost to do to get set up to run crypto, and how much is that going to run you? Uh, depends on the way you do it. So what I run, I use uh, what's called a KFD tool. And again, I am not sponsored by, uh, I'm not sponsored by KFD tool, or I believe his name is Daniel Duggar, but he's got a hell of a product. It's a... Uh, Another, it's basically a little adapter box that converts from USB to the form that the radio can understand a key in. And that's about $300 for the radio uh, and the pigtail cables on either side, or, or not the radio, I'm sorry, the, the KFD tool and the pigtail cables that you'll need on either side of the radio. Uh, he has software for it. The software is free and it's just a, a little USB peripheral is all it is. It's about $300. Your other option is to buy, say, like a Motorola KVL or key variable loader, which is going to be anywhere from like $400 to $4,000, depending on what algorithms are loaded onto it. Like they'll only do maybe one or two algorithms at a time, depending on which. You could get 
in theory, you could get yourself an EF Johnson SMA or subscriber management assistant, which is a weirdly flashed Windows tablet that allegedly exists. I haven't found any of them for sale, but it does the same thing as a, as a Motorola KVL. Or and you can spend 300 bucks on a KFD tool. Since you mentioned it, like the, the TK390s you mentioned won't run won't run encrypted, right? That's correct. So the next radio up that you push the uh, run, you could encrypt, would that be the EF Johnson? or? Uh, yeah, there's a few few encryption-capable radios that I would push. Now, there's also your, not your cheap Chinese radios, maybe your your okay Chinese radios that will be any tone. Uh, what, what's the other ones? Like the MD, UV MD380 or something. Those are those are passable. Hytera. Hytera is a Chinese land mobile radio manufacturer. Their stuff is okay. Uh, and then, and those are thirty one hundreds on the EFJs. Uh, Fifty one hundreds. So those various Chinese radios are use the DMR or digital mobile radio waveform, which is one of the about half a dozen competing digital radio waveforms out there. Uh, now the other one is the other main one is P twenty P twenty five, which is APCO or Association of Public Safety Communications Officials P, uh, Project twenty five. That's an awful. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. It's a 12.5 kilohertz narrowband digital voice mode. It's FDMA, which is frequency, uh, frequency delay multiple access. So you'll be able to only, you will not be able to have multiple conversations going on simultaneously on the same frequency, whereas DMR is TDMA, or time delay multiple access, where there's two time slots, so each radio is only transmitting a little bit of the time. So you can have uh, you can have two radios talking simultaneously on the same frequency, which has some some cool other possibilities that I won't get into right now. Uh, P25 is a more simple waveform. There's a ridiculous amount of very very high quality surplus P25 subscriber units out there. Now, not all of them will have all forms of crypto loaded. Uh, probably the two that I would look at the most seriously, if I were you, would be Motorola XTS 5000s and EF Johnson 5100ES portables. They're both very high quality. They've both seen substantial military, fire, law enforcement, other service. Uh, they will they will support encryption. In the case of the Motorola, you may need to uh, purchase a flash code flash code update for it. In the case of the EF Johnson, you can reflash it yourself very easily, and uh, that little P25 AES encrypted sample that I played for you or produced for you earlier was done on an EF Johnson 5100 ES V6 on P25 Digital on our Part 90 business license. So, would you feel like a good roadmap is get UHF to start, get set up on uh, GMRS, learn the ropes, and then start working into the Part 90 stuff if, you, if you're still interested and want to keep going, but get a basic, I call it a ranch radio setup going. That's a good, that's a very good question. Uh, I still use GMRS primar primarily as a hobby at this point, uh, you know, talking on the linked repeater system to people all across the country uh, over over radio over IP, 
and for obviously business communications and other communications that goes over my business my business license that I hold for uh, for my company. Well, it just depends. If GMRS is what you want, then definitely start with GMRS. Do not hesitate. And if if you want to run encrypted communications later on, then uh, then yeah, I do believe that's a pretty reasonable path to take because all these P25 digital radios and DMR digital radios that will do encryption, uh, they will all also support analog. So they they can operate on GMRS. Now there's a there are some minor type acceptance issues there where they have part 90 rather than part 95 type acceptance. The FCC has outright said that they do not want to exclude part 90 radios from GMRS. So the FCC has said that it's a non-issue. So if you want to buy an EF Johnson 5100 and key up on a GMRS system, go for it. If you want to buy a Motorola XTS and program it for GMRS and talk on a, on a GMRS repeater or just simplex at your ranch on GMRS, go for it. And then if down the line you think that you would like to use you'd like to use crypto, you'd like to use a business license, whether that's an itinerant or you go through frequency coordination and get your own frequency pair, well, you have that option. There's a lot of expansion potential with both with a business band in particular. And there's a even if you're transmitting in the clear there's a decent level of privacy just because if you can't physically hear that transmission you can't receive it it's not like your cell phone communications are going through the server and wherever and getting the you know our glowworm friends are racking that <laughs> off the top <laughs> yeah it's a, that's a pretty good point that, that he makes there there uh, radio communication is end-to-end -end and to intercept it you do have to have uh, a physical presence somewhere to uh, to uh, intercept that signal and then you know categorize it uh, transcribe it whatnot so that's a lot of work to just be doing you can't cast a wide net with that you, if somebody's looking for you like that you've already pissed somebody off yeah there there is hardware out there to do it um, we ha we have access to that kind of hardware but that's that's some geek stuff. And yeah, it's that not wouldn't be a bad be... part two episode. Yeah, that, that's that's a good point. I, I agree with that. That's that's geek stuff, and you're not going to encounter that very often without uh, really having angered some uh, some alphabet agencies. Taking a pause right there because we got we got fresh baked cookies. <laughs> All right. Well, since we all kind of, half of us have our mouths full, that's probably not a bad place to close out the episode. <laughs> um, Sorry, guys. We were putting this together mostly as like a roadmap for, uh, I promised Jay Flintlock that we'd do kind of an inf infographic or a guide and wanted to get our thoughts somewhat in a hard copy so we can start putting that together. And so closing this out, uh, we'll probably keep this going as an episode format. Um, you know, we might go into part two with uh, let's listen to feds, what you can do with your own, setting up your own signet, repeaters, and then get into a general uh, voluntarist prepping, 
miscellaneous madness podcast. So there's a lot of stuff as far as uh, operational considerations, you know, antenna selection, employment, whatnot, uh, communications <laughs> discipline. It, it, there are dedicated communications MOSs in the Army for a reason. And we'll only be scratching the surface here. This is uh, an incredibly wide and deep field. So why'd you get into radios? I have autism. <laughs> okay, maybe Asperger's, but I'm definitely on the spectrum. <laughs> so closing this out, this is the ghost of Deuce Bigelow. We've got... Anarcho Bacon. Just Mongo. Grendel. All right. This is the Gila Monsters Podcast. Have a good one. Signing off.